Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Great singing this morning. Every time uh, we sing this song, I think of a story in the Bible where this man needs to be healed and he's so sick he can't even get to Jesus. He's got to pray that some of his friends come and find him and get him to Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning and you need someone else's help, someone else's encouragement to kind of help you know that Jesus can touch the most broken parts of your life, things you'd never share with anyone else. And that's what it means to be a church, to do this together. And so uh, I'm really excited this morning to invite a wonderful leader who's kind of been someone who I've learned to work with and grow with and kind of been a helper along the way, even in the life of the 180. And so uh, you can have a seat and I'm going to invite them up and then I'm going to pray for, for him. Uh, Dr. Kenzo, who will make his way up now. Dr. Kenzo, for some of you who don't know Dr. Kenzo, is, is it's hard to explain. I mean, he is an international leader as it relates to Canada and, and just involvement in, in global issues in the church. And over the past few years now, I don't know how many years, uh, he's been the, the district leader of a family of churches here that, where we go, uh, that we as the 180 are a part of, and that's a Christian Missionary Alliance churches across Canada. And uh, I don't think I've ever said this to him in public, but we would not be in this space were it not for the leadership and vision of Dr. Kenzo. Uh, you know, yeah, we can... Uh, he... Uh, He not only is a visionary who believes in a lot of the, the dumb things I say, uh, or, or I'm like, I have a great idea, and, you know, but I get to serve with him as well on our executive board, uh, helping oversee many other churches. And so this morning, it's a gift for us to have him with us, teaching the scriptures, helping us grow. And so, uh, Dr. Kenzo, what a gift. Thanks, thanks for being with us. I think your mic should be on. And yeah. It is, it is on. Yeah. Thank you very much, uh, Pastor Dom. I'm with you often more than you know, because I have a chance to uh, listen to Pastor Dom's uh, teaching uh, very regularly. So I appreciate what God is doing in this space, and I appreciate more what he is about to do in the next few or several years to come as you grow and you take over the whole thing. That's my prayer. Now. As I follow what uh, Pastor Dom has been doing, I wanted to continue in the same vein of those moments when God really, really surprises us. When God comes at an unexpected moment. When we find God in unexpected places. And this morning, We want to turn to the story of Hagar. Hagar is a difficult story. 
And the whole story is troubling, but at the same time fascinating, no matter how you look at it. Whether from God's perspective in dealing with her, or from the perspective of Abraham, Sarah, or however you look at it. Hagar's story is a story of a slave used, abused, and rejected. However, I need to say quickly that this is only one side of the story. Sadness and sorrow is only one side of the story. The other side is redemption and blessings outside the confines of convention or covenant. A story, indeed, of surprise, redemption, and blessings. We'll pick up the story from chapter uh, 21 of Genesis, starting from verse 8 to 20. But I'm sparing you to read the story because it's a bit too long. I will just, just follow me as we make our way through uh, this story. In fact, we need to go back a little bit before we focus on our text of the, of the day. Where the story begins, where did it begin? Where the story begins in a crisis of genealogy. Hagar's story begins in a crisis of genealogy that is the tradition that sees the book of Genesis as structured around a phrase that is often used, this is the beginnings. Or if you want, this is the story of. Or if you want, this is the genealogy of. And you have this, uh, this expression uh, repeated in Genesis chapter 2, again in Genesis uh, chapter 10, in Genesis chapter 11, and so on. It repeated over and over again. The story of creation, Genesis chapter 2. These are the the generations of the heavens and earth, Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. The same formula is also found in the story of Noah and his family following the great flood. This is the story of Noah, or if you want, this is the genealogy of Noah, chapter 10, verse 1. Uh, And again in chapter 11, verse 10. And when we come to a story, it is in Genesis chapter 11 that it starts. And it is the story, not of Abraham, not of Hagar, but it's a story of Terah. It's his genealogy that is being told. By the time we come to Genesis chapter 11, the whole story of genealogy, beginnings, has become so natural that you, you read in a very quasi-mechanic way, so beget so, and so beget so, and so, so it's, and for maybe, so gave birth to so, or, or so fathered so, and over and uh, over again, so fathered so. It has become very mechanic. So uh, transmission of life had become very, very naturalized. God's role in it is eclipsed 
to oblivion. And when we come to uh, chapter 11, it's quite interesting what we read in the story of, of Terah. It tells us that this is the story of Terah. He has his boys, his, his children, and immediately they tell us that Haram, one of his children, died before Terah himself. And then it goes on to say that Abraham took a wife and his wife, Sarah, had no children. And then you have Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, and he has no son. He has only daughters. So in a sense, we are facing a crisis. How will Terah's line be continued? And the one hope that we have there is one son and who stays in, in Ur, in Chaldea, while Terak himself, is, his desire was to go to Canaan, but he settled in, in, uh, uh, in Haram. How is the line be continued? There's a crisis. And that's where the story began. Now, in the despair of the situation, and what is even more interesting, just after God has renewed his promise to Abraham in chapter 15, in chapter 16, we meet Hagar. And we are told here, once again in chapter 15, that uh, 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 after God has renewed chapter 16, after God has renewed the, the, the covenant chapter 15, we are told that now, beginning of chapter 16, now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Had borne him no children. But we are told she had a slave girl whose name is Hagar. In other words, she is just a parenthesis in somebody else's story. Sarah had no children. She was barren. She had no child. And yet, she had a slave girl whose name is Hagar. That's where we meet Hagar. And in her despair, we can read that in the word that she uses for God. The Lord has kept me from having a child. Actively, God has barred me from having a child. So she makes a proposal whereby Hagar becomes a solution. Now she's telling her husband, just go with my slave girl, and maybe through her, I would have a child. A slave used. And then, if we go in depth, what we read in here, what we read in here is that by taking matter in her own hands, Sarai actually is doing an act of rebellion. Because she goes again the grain, against the grain that we see in the beginning of the genealogies where it's God who takes the initiative. And when that 
element is lost in the genealogy stories, God comes in chapter 12 and intervenes. In the crisis of a genealogy, he calls Abraham and says, I am now who will make it happen for you, that you would be, you would, you, you would, you, I would make you a great nation, you would be a blessing to all, and through a child. God takes the initiative. And then we come to chapter 15. We don't have all the, uh, all the time, but there, there are crises. You know, we're going from crisis to crisis. So God comes in chapter 15. He renews his commitment to say that I am in control. I will make it happen. And in chapter 16, Sarah says, yeah, it's a joke. I'm taking matter in my own hands. It's an act of rebellion. And yet... God would surprise us. When we come to uh, chapter 16, what Sarah suggests to Abraham happens, and Hagar is pregnant. Whatever happened, it's, it's, it's difficult to know, but the might have been arrogance on her part or contempt on her part, and Sarah picks on that. And she goes to her husband to complain. And even after she had conceived for Abraham a child, Hagar remains a slave. And what did Abraham say to Sarah? Well, you slave girl, it's in your power, literally at your disposal. She is in your power. Do to her whatever you please. Whoa, that's God. Do to her whatever you please. And the Bible tells us that Sarah dealt with her harshly. And poor Hagar, she also takes matter into her own hands. She escapes, she flees. And in her flight, God encounters her. And this first encounter is no preferential treatment for the poor. Because as she encounters her, what did God tell her? Return to your mistress. And not only that, and submit to her. Well, for me, coming from a story where runaway slaves are heroes, I'm disturbed. God is not taking the side of the slave. He tells her, return and submit. The rebel in me says, no, 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 no way. No submitting here. And he said, go and submit. Go back to your master, to your mistress, and submit. But again, I have to say here that if we stop there, we do not have the full story. Because we also have in this disturbing uh, order 
command from God in the midst of it, we also have three beautiful things that we have. First, of course, God, through the angel, encounters Hagar. We are told that God, seeing through the angel, seeing Hagar, the angel of the verse sixteen, chapter verse seven, chapter sixteen, the angel of the Lord found her by the spring of water. That's already redemption. Because wherever you are, even when you are lost in the desert, when you are lost in the here in the wilderness, God sees her. God sees you. God sees me. And what is beautiful here, even if God is telling her to go back to her mistress, one thing I find quite fascinating here, God does not judge her. And actually, God blesses her. God, through the angel, gives her a promise. And finally, there is also happening in this episode, Hagar seeing God. After the, the whole encounter, Hagar names the place, as we know, El Roy. El Roy in Hebrew. Why did she name it this place? She says herself. Because I have seen God. So that God is not only the one who sees, but we also can become people who see God. The God seen is seen by someone. And here it's Hagar who sees God. And I want that experience. I want us to aspire to see God. I want us to learn to see God. I want us to develop skills to see God. And we'll see later on that this skill will serve Hagar big time in the second encounter. And in the second encounter, there is definitely a preferential treatment of, uh, for the poor. Chapter 21. What do we have here? Even after she had been blessed by God. Even after she had, been, she had seen God. When she went back, she was not out of misery. The mistreatment continued. Fast forward several years. Isaac, the son of promise, is born. But Ishmael was also on a promise. He's being weaned. So at the time for the culture, Isaac may have been, must have been around 10 years. That's the culture. And in, again, another troubling aspect of or information from the story, the same day that Isaac is being weaned, Sarah sees 
Ishmael, quote unquote, playing. Just playing. That's what the Bible says. Well, the, the translation is quite difficult, so we have different translations. Uh, and NIV, in, to make it more smooth, they say uh, mocking. But literally, the word is playing. He was just playing. And she's incensed. And she tells Abraham, I mean, it's not, well, I, I don't think it's mocking, because she gives the reason. She never said to Abraham, you know, send this slave girl away with her child because her, her, her child is mocking mine. No, that's not what he said. she said. She simply said, send away the slave girl with her child because I don't want that boy to inherit with my child. Oh, Abraham is grieved. But again, God tells Abraham to do whatever Sarah wants. What's going on here? And she's sent away just with some water and some bread. And the Bible tells us that the very next day, she wandered in the desert, 21 verse 14. She was lost in the desert. As she wandered in the desert, she ran out of water. As she ran off out of water, her son is dying of thirst. And as she could not stand watching her boy die out of thirst, she laid him under, uh, uh, under, uh, under the bushes while she herself went off and sat down about uh, shoots away. And she sat there and she wept. Right then, right then, the narrative says, and God heard the boy crying. And God heard the boy crying. And it was at this moment that the angel of the Lord appeared to Hagar. She, the angel of the Lord called her from heaven. And she renewed, oh, the angel, he, he renewed to her the promise that God had given Abraham concerning the child. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Verse 18. God sees. God comes. God intervenes. And now you see where the first experience becomes relevant. Because Hagar had already learned to see God. She knew when God spoke. She knew when God appeared. She received the message. And God opened her eyes. And there, there in the middle of the desert, she saw a spring of water. She filled the skin the jar, the container, and gave the boy a drink. God can appear to us. God can surprise us at the moment when we feel abandoned, rejected. 
and God makes a way. God, in the desert, brings water. And, I mean, the surprising, you know, outcome, the surprising ending, the nouement of the story. Not only God provides for her and the child, but that very place, Beersheba, the desert, becomes a shrine, a sanctuary. Now, when we see Abraham entering into Canaan, it was not a, a, a tourist visit. He had to conquer. That's what the Bible tells us. In chapter 12 already, as they entered, he had to go all the way to uh, Shisham. And it's a high place where other gods were being worshipped. He takes it over, and then he builds an altar. He takes it over. It's a coup d'etat. It comes for God. And the same pattern we see Abraham moving not only uh, uh, you know, at Shechem, but also he goes to Bethel. The same thing. Bethel used to be the house of God, of other gods. And he takes it over. He builds an altar. And then he goes to Mamre. It's the same thing. He, it, it used to be there. There was an oak tree of Mamre. It was a shrine. It was a sanctuary for pagan gods. Abraham takes it over. So Abraham is a, is a founding fa father of sanctuaries, places where God appears, where places where God uh, is worshipped, places where God manifests God's glory. And yet the last one that uh, is established here in the, in the Abraham story is Beersheba. And the founding father is not Abraham, it is Hagar. Hagar knew that in this place also, in this desert, God appears. God manifests himself. God intervenes in this very place, dry land. And in the story comes Abraham out of nowhere after, you know, uh, you know uh, the story of uh, other kings. They dispute. They have a dispute for a well. And Abraham sanctioned the sanctuary by planting a tree in this place. And it becomes a known sanctuary. But who started it? Who saw God there first? It's Hagar. So by, 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 by turning it or by recognizing it as a sanctuary, here Abraham consecrates, sanctions, legitimizes Hagar spiritual experience. Bathsheba is a desert. And yet God shows up. In the wilderness, God shows up to a slave used, abused, and rejected. My prayer is that we too claim that God, who surprises us when we are in a wilderness, even when we feel used, abused, and rejected, even when we feel lost, even when we feel in the desert. I don't know where you are in your own journey of faith, but I know one thing, that even in those tough moments where you might find yourself, God can show up. God, who's seen, 
is God who shows up. May God open our eyes that we may see him in unexpected places, in unexpected moments. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. And this morning, following in the steps of a nobody, a slave girl, we too, Father, feel in the desert. We too, Father, feel in the wilderness. And just as you showed up for her, intervened for her, turned her into a model of spirituality, a founder of a sanctuary. Father, we want our lives to be those sanctuary where God is manifest. We want our lives in our society, the churches in our society, to be places where God is manifest in our brokenness, in our despair. Come, Father, show up. Come, Father, open our eyes that we may see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.